Sean Glynis. Hello. And live from a bar hallway outside of a bathroom, I think, Steve Coleman. Yeah, I'm pretty close to there. Thank you. That's nice. Any good smells? Any good sights? Lots of soap. Oh, well, that's not that's that's okay, I guess. And, of course, Adam Myros. Uh, howdy, sir. Myros, you've got, a, uh, you got an article up on ExpressMilwaukee.com, don't you? That I do. Now, what the uh, hell is that all about? I don't. I don't actually read anything that you write. I just, you know, I try to ignore you as much as I can day to day. That's that's probably for the best. Uh, the piece is about uh, kind of is it's about my relationship with the uh, Sons of Anarchy, which is uh, a show I kind of got roped into watching, and uh, based on a lot of bad proclivities of mine, just just could not stop watching until it was done. Not not because it was engaging, and I needed to see how it ended, just because. <laughs> Just because I, I refuse to stop watching anything. Old old habits die hard. No, yeah. I, I totally know how that is because, I mean, I, I lived with you for long enough to know that um, it was almost like an endurance competition with a lot of the things that we would watch just to see <laughs> if we could outlast the show or the movie or whatever it was that we were watching. Well, yeah, that's one of the things I really didn't get into the article that that is, is true of it. I guess I was focusing more on my life in general, which does follow that rule, but... Uh, I think it, it comes from the way we used to watch movies is, you know, we wouldn't shut anything off. It doesn't matter how bad it was, we, we would watch it. And when you do that with movies, it's whatever. There's 80, 90 minutes of your life. Uh, but when you switch over, like, I'm kind of a recent convert to, to television, and uh, it's it's such a different ball game. When you get that stubborn with a television series, <laughs> you're, you're looking at, like, 150 hours of your life down the damn drain. Mm-hmm. It's hard hard to afford to be a completist. <laughs> it is. Well, and, and the problem is, too, with a lot of these prestige shows that I don't particularly like, Walking Dead's a great example. People love Walking Dead. And they always ask me, oh, do you watch it? Do you watch it? I say, oh, I watch it for X amount of seasons. Then I quit. And then they try and rope you back into it. And it's the same old shit every time. And I just, I, I can't deal with it. See, Sons of Anarchy was a minefield for me because I could quit. Like I quit Walking Dead eventually, and uh, I'm not going back because I I could foresee AMC milking The Walking Dead for like 20 seasons. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah. and, you, and you completed your 12 step program too, so that's always that, that's true. But Sons of, <laughs> yeah, Sons of Anarchy they came out early and were like, okay, this is the, this is a seven season arc. You know, we're doing this uh, in seven seasons. It's he had this whole asinine Shakespearean Hamlet angle, like, oh, we need to get to seven seasons. It was like a Dan Harmon type edict, and uh, yeah, it uh, you know, so I'm like, okay, only, all I gotta get through two more seasons of this shit, and when you can see the finish line, it, it just forces you to kind of keep moving, and when you shouldn't. Sure, sure. Well, it's surprising too, because normally, like you said, these shows seem to go on indefinitely, and there's no clear end point. Uh, so it's it's not very often that you see a show like you know like Parks and Rec for instance where they're kind of at the top of their game and they just decide to quit while they're ahead. Normally these things go on for just ever and ever and ever. So then you get into a situation like 
I don't know, The Office or something where by the end of it it's just a, a train wreck and a husk of its former self. Yeah, that's that's one of like the main differences between prestige television and populist television, I would say. You know, if it like populist television, if it gets ratings, it's gonna it's gonna keep they're cranking it out law and order style. But with prestige television, a lot of times the creator has a certain vision for where it's gonna go and how long it's gonna last. And Sons of Anarchy thought it was prestige television, even though it's it's about the farthest damn thing. From it. <laughs> that's funny. Talk to me a little bit about the show because I didn't watch it, and I know you started watching it because our other roommate Mac uh, suddenly became obsessed with motorcycles for some reason uh, because he's either forty or four. Um, so yeah, he had a motorcycle obsession. <laughs> well, and then he got excited about Sons of Anarchy. That's Mac for you. It's a, a new obsession every week, right? <laughs> he built a woodworking shop in our basement for no reason uh, in a in a college house. Full dad. Um, he went full dad. Yeah, Sons of Anarchy is it's I don't know. It's it's kind of like Hunter S. Thompson's Hell's Angels if it was told by a simpleton. Like <laughs> wow. It's it's just a lot of uh very ill-behaved individuals uh trying to to do well by society or something. But but not really. They just kind of there's a lot of lip service to being better and uh and doing things different, but then they just uh, kill a bunch of minorities and uh, play some bad music, and uh, yeah, it's it's terrible. Yeah, I guess you you really wouldn't have much of a show if you were just a, a really nice, caring motorcycle gang. Well, just rest assured, you know, driving around Meals on Wheels to the homeless and uh, the disabled that wouldn't really. I would love to see that show though. <laughs> isn't that <laughs> isn't that Perlman delivering a lasagna? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that basically what uh, Parks and Rec is, though? Like, it's just a bunch of people being really nice to each other? Uh, yeah, it is. And it, it can get cloying on occasion uh, at its worst. But uh, Sons of Anarchy certainly doesn't have that problem. It, it's quite the opposite. It's it's just sickening most of the time. It it falls into the same category as, as Walking Dead, where I just don't understand its popularity because it's so abjectly miserable. Like, it's... <laughs> You're just wallowing in in human misery, and I I don't understand why people want to spend an hour a week well, doing that. Can, misery does love company, oh, so company oh. must love misery. I guess. <laughs> there you go, Uncle Darn Steve. Kathy Uncle Banks. Steve showed up. <laughs> can you think of any other shows that are just uh, miserable, um, or, or filled with just miserable people? Breaking. Well, I I think. Well, Breaking Bad, Bad is, I suppose, but it's also compelling, which is not the case with Walking Dead or yeah. Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> there's no compelling characters. There's, there's no, like, driving arc. It's just kind of happens. <laughs> right. Things occur. But, yeah, I mean, it kind of gets you into that, that frame of mind that we've been talking about this week with the release of House of Cards, which is another show filled with abjectly miserable people. Uh about stuff that you kind of feel like, what am I not getting? You know, like that it's so popular and uh, acclaimed, and you just you think it's garbage. And uh, so that's that's kind of what we wanted to talk about a little bit today. Well, right? well yeah, um, I th- for me there there is that really like central question, which is like, why do all these people like this thing? Like when I when I've watched it, well, I mean, I, first of all, I guess we should we should preface this by saying that, like, Netflix, like, commissioned this show based on, like, data that they 
saw like like this yeah, was basically it's it's like an algorithm come to life yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so so like when I ask myself like why don't I like this because I should like it like that's very literal like I should like this because I'm a mm-hmm. Netflix subscriber and they like you know um, fished my data like to create a show that I should like but I don't <laughs> oh excuse me yeah that's that's a really good point and I, I don't know it. People have tried to do this type of stuff before. I guess Netflix doing it with House of Cards is definitely the most famous example of it. But uh, I remember in the news, uh, this is probably like five years ago, there was a woman who was doing her PhD and she tried to make uh, a data-created perfect like indie rock album. So, Are you she- sure you're not talking about Rivers Cuomo? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No, it's the Arcade Fire, actually. <laughs> okay. So... What this woman did was she she looked at websites uh, with a lot of, I don't know, clout, like Pitchfork, for instance, and she would go through and she would look at albums that they rated, say, eight or higher, and she would look at the words that they would use to describe the music, and then she kind of created a table or whatever, and then she figured out, okay, based on what these words are, these sounds and you know types of music are associated with these words – and then she composed this album that was supposed to be like the perfect pitchfork approved record. And it just sounded like <laughs> boring My Bloody Valentine B sides. Which if you were to ask right. a pitchfork staff member in two thousand eight what they wanted to listen to, I guess that might actually be accurate. But the point stands that when you try and create something out of data like that, it just it doesn't really necessarily work out the way you want it to. That sounds like uh like the morning benders or some like grizzly bear like side project. Indie music for car commercials. Yeah, I love that stuff. Uh, but yeah, like, uh, I guess more specifically about House of Cards, I mean, other than the fact that Netflix, like, literally made this show for me, um, like, I've, I've, I've sat through, like, a lot of this show. I haven't watched all of it, uh, just because I jumped off the, the train and I'm not, I'm not as much of a completist anymore, but I like shows about power, and this show is very much about power dynamics, I like interesting ones. Um, I like, I'm a sucker for, like, journalists, uh, like, story arcs or characters who are journalists. Like, I, I don't know, um, especially if they're played by, uh, you know, Amara, sister. Um, <laughs> and then uh, The Central Marriage um, is kind of fascinating, um, at least on paper or for a few episodes here and there, but um, it doesn't... It, it doesn't. The what do they say? The sum of it's not the sum of its parts for me. Yeah, I I, I mean the the central marriage is strong to me mostly because of the acting. I mean, Spacey. I, I have a short yeah. leash with Spacey, but uh, I, it, it's one of the few things I've actually kind of enjoyed from him in the last I don't know fifteen years. Uh, I, I like he he's enjoying himself. You can tell, and it, it's a compelling character. And so I, indulgent. I, it's very indulgent, uh, but I, I think the the real strength of the show is uh, actually Robin Wright. Uh, yeah, she's okay. she's fantastic. Uh, and it, for me, House of Cards really hums when they're on the screen. When it's about the Underwoods, it's uh, compelling, and when it's not, it's not at all. Like there's this whole <laughs> through season two and season three, there's this whole like. Doug Stamper, uh, gritty 
advisor to to uh the underwoods and he he's like chasing this hooker across the country for love and uh conspiracy and it's just every time they cut to it i'm just like oh my god just go the fuck away <laughs> is this consummated in any way it, it, there is no consummate. She's actually she engages in a lesbian relationship and uh, tries to murder Doug Stamper. And uh, there's not even any oral. There is. <laughs> I'm uh, again that I, one of my main problems with with House of Cards is the format. Like it does not play into the Netflix like binge watching format at all. Like when I picked up season three, I was like lost. You know, you're like, what the fuck? I don't even fucking remember why this hooker is important. Like. I have no record. This was a year ago. I don't remember <laughs> why in the hell I care about this or am supposed to. I mean, I don't care about this, but uh, I guess they want me to. And uh, it's just when Spacey and Robin Wright are not on screen, the, the show just sinks. Right. Or yeah. Um, this the screenplay to me. Well, first of all, like like the fourth wall breakings, like just kill me. Um, but he he's not that great of a character to me. Like obviously, if he can't uphold like his own half of the the show, or you know more than half, um, he's not a likable antihero. Like he's obviously that anti antihero, and Kevin Spacey has sort of come to de- define that late in his career. But uh, he's just like a a villain that I want like whoever the hero is to like overthrow, so we don't have to spend more time with him. Um, and and I think the screenplay is like really transparent. Like if if that makes sense, like it. It all seems like like writing machinations instead of a world I can get caught up in. Um, it's one of those shows like like I feel like I'm looking at storyboards. Um, it, it it's it's one of those shows that people will be like, oh, just wait till you get to this episode. And it's like I don't wanna uh, I don't wanna do that. Like I want I want to enjoy like the episodes in between, like the big big reveal. That, <laughs> Yeah. Right, right. I, and yeah. season two was terrible, but they, they were they had this big twit like oh, and spoilers, uh, audience. Uh, I mean, he he kills Kate Mara's reporter character. Underwood just like throws her in front of a train, uh, which is right. is just what what all the presidents tired to the traps. Uh, yeah, so that's pretty old timey villain. Does he twist his mustache afterwards? <laughs> uh, Spacey twists his mustache like a hundred percent of the time in the show, but I. <laughs> I would say, like, the, the one thing they did succeed with in season three is they actually made Underwood a more effective uh, anti-hero. Like, he is, like, some of his policies, now that he's achieved his, his almighty yeah. goal of, of becoming president, are, are stuff that you're like, okay, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. I I almost am rooting for him to get reelected and uh, to, to pass this law, because, boy, it seems like a great thing. His, his plan is to get legislation passed that that cuts entitlements and uh provides jobs for everyone who applies for a job like everyone yeah. if you apply for a job you're granted a job and and it's oh. like it's like okay i i can get behind this uh you know i i his motives are pure if his actions are the total opposite of pure i, I mean the way he gets to the end is uh, is quite despicable, but uh, I mean, in general, it, it at least gives you something to go. Oh, I, I kind of want this guy to succeed, as opposed to <laughs> the first two seasons where it's like, God, I hope someone stabs this asshole. There's a um, there's an interesting article up on on Grantland by Andy Greenwald that that's sort of contrary to that Uh-oh. point. Um, and 
Uh, I mean, I I liked it just because it was it was interesting. Um, I I liked the article because it was interesting, not necessarily because I've seen the show and can like relate, but um, he calls it appetite TV, um, because like uh, you know, it's it's all about these these different types of appetites that are driving these characters, and he says in season three it's sort of like changes where the appetite isn't like getting power it's like um policy and which it, yeah which i i am i vastly preferred it frankly i right, thought it was way right. more engaging and it, it's uh it still had a mountain of problems mind you I, they kind of undercut robin wright's character uh it's not it, it, the writing doesn't seem consistent from the first two seasons and uh i don't know it's Again, one of the problems that you don't see with Orange is the New Black or, or other Netflix binge shows that are successful is uh, it's it it really hangs on this cliffhanger. Like the the ending does not resolve at all. You don't find out if if he wins re-election or how their marriage uh, shapes up. It's it's a cliffhanger, and it's like fuck you. This show is not going to be on for an entire calendar year. It's not salient to structure it in this fashion. Sure, sure. And one thing that I really like about Orange is the New Black is uh, they, they've ended both their seasons with kind of cliffhangery things, but at the same time there's a bunch of narrative arcs that get kind of tied up and, and taken care of. So you do get the satisfaction of that, but it also dangles just a little something in front of you so that you get excited for when it comes back in a year. Yeah, I'm serious, you know. Right, yeah, Sean's appetite TV thing that he gleaned from the Grantland is is totally accurate. And that's like one of I mean it's not prestige television. It really really wants you to believe it is. Right. And the performances are there, but the writing's not. It's it is, you know, it's just it's, it's a husk, it's a husk of prestige t- TV like and that's the thing that I find really annoying about um about people like talking about how much they love it because um like I, I believe them. I don't want to say like I don't believe you, but it's like at some point it's like, how much of this are you just like getting to those big moments that are like reveal moments, so you, so that you can say it was a good show. Um, it, it, I don't know. It 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 reminds me of pretty much everything that David Fincher has done. Like uh, besides the Social Network, like it just leaves me pretty cold. But like. Gone Girl, for instance, um, wants you to think like it's this like really smart thing, and so he he like smartly places this big reveal or this big thing that happens towards the end, close enough to the to the uh, resolution, so that you leave the theater being like, "Wow, that must have been good." I don't really know what it was, but that happened towards the end. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Fincher is a really cold director to me as well. I mean, it's probably not fair to attach Fincher so wholeheartedly to House of Cards. True, but, true. But uh, he... Yeah, What's that, Steve? Those Madonna's. Say that again? <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe he was making a point about Madonna videos. Uh, yes. <laughs> I guess my last point here before we move on to something uh, less House of Cardsy is uh is like what what is this algorithm exactly like wh- why does Netflix think we want to see some remake of like this uh, stodgy British uh, black comedy from the uh, early nineties <laughs> right right it's like okay right, and right. I ha- I have watched that it's show it's like too. the West Wing for dickheads yeah the the <laughs> British show is is nothing like this at all I mean. Uh, it, 
Underwood's like a caricature. Well, I mean, Underwood. Well, no. I have, Er Quart is his name in the British show. He's he's really like over the top, and not that Spacey's not, but I mean, it really takes itself a hell of a lot more seriously. Frank Underwood, more like Frank Underwhelming. No, um, no, but what what I was thinking, um, Tony Blair Underwood. <laughs> Thank you for that. I was guessing, uh, um, in in terms of an adaptation and the the Netflix algorithm, I'm guessing that they just took something that already existed so that they didn't have to create something from scratch and it just sort of molded towards, you know, the trend of uh, what prestige television looks like. We wanted, we really needed more David Fincher in our lives. Like, yeah, I just needed, like, antiseptic settings and. uh, And, like, the fact that he kills off. Uh, the Mara character, uh, it's like, I don't, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but she seemed like the audience surrogate for me, and it's like, why are you, why are you killing the audience surrogate? Seems like uh, a good thing, actually. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's kind of a thing. Yes. That, that ties me, I guess, back to, uh, Sons of Anarchy a little, is that one of the main flaws in that show is there is no audience surrogate. There is, Nothing resembling an audience surrogate. You can't relate to any of these scumbags. I don't know. Every time I see Ron Perlman on the screen, I kind of see myself in him, you know? <laughs> Are you Tom Waits? Yeah, basically. Uh, one last thing that I want to say about all this. Uh, a lot of times, because there's a lot of te- television that I don't have time to watch, a lot of movies I don't have time to watch, but especially with TV because people tend to talk about it from week to week. So if I'm kind of on the fence about a show, I pay attention on Twitter and Facebook to who I'm friends with and, and you know what they're saying about it. So when I look at House of Cards, the only person on Facebook that I see saying anything positive about House of Cards is um, this guy that I knew in high school that I, I didn't like very much. Is he a listener? No, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> but he, he works for like a Republican think tank or something, <laughs> and he's he's way into it. He's got like a massive throbbing erection for House of Cards. What? I, I mean, Underwood's a Democrat. It's pretty anti-Republican in its narrative. Right. Uh, I, yeah, but it, but it's all about the Beltway. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. Again, I haven't seen it. And then. Sons of Anarchy. The only the only two people that I know that watch it are Myros, who obviously not a big fan, just watched it anyways. And then the other person who's always talking about it on Facebook is the another guy I went to high school with, who um and I only I only keep him on my Facebook friends list for just kind of like hate viewing of his Facebook. Uh, but he used to drive like a monster truck to school with a giant Confederate flag on it. And uh, I guess after after reading Myros's article and listening to you talk about it, I can kind of see why he'd be into Sons of Anarchy, basically oh, for all the wrong reasons. Sons of Anarchy is made for that guy. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess I mean I think we're too hard on House of Cards here. It's got some great central performances. It's uh, it's a very well done series. It's the writing is often not there, and it's not. It's not top notch. It's not what it wants you to think it is, but it is fine. Like it fits into our discussion last week. Almost for me, it's it is guilty pleasure viewing. It's that it's what's going to happen next. What are these crazy machinations they're up to? And it's 
it's just uh, it's stupid, but it's and it wants you to believe it's really smart. But mm-hmm. uh, it's not a it's not a terrible show. I wouldn't go. It's not Sons of Anarchy, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure, I sure. believe um, uh, Andy Greenwald, who called it Appetite TV, also called it uh, Doritos. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's probably fair. Uh well, hey, you know, last week we actually doubled our uh, the amount of listeners that we had, which is pretty impressive. Oh. Or just indicative of how few listeners we actually have in the first place. But the point is, uh, maybe somebody thinks that we're assholes for shitting all over House of Cards. So if you're listening and you have a different opinion, you can email us, uh, opfatcast at optimismvaccine.com. Tell us we're all fucking assholes. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm not shitting at it that much. I, I think right. it's okay. It's it's fine. I'll shit all over it. Go ahead. Good. We'll shit all over it. And then I you mean, can email us and we'll has, email on air and tell you you're a big dummy. I, I'll, I'll say this. It has good production value. And again, the acting is... Again, Spacey, he has a short leash with me. I, I get tired of Spacey real quick these days. But uh, yeah. but Robin, Robin Wright is... Excellent. She's yeah. She's yeah. Man, Tom Hanks is really good in Forrest Gump. I I I put this in a similar category as Forrest Gump. Right? <laughs> oh God. I'm not going to shit on Forrest Gump either. I enjoy watching it. This is I did House of Cards, but it's well, not. It's oh, not. Jesus. It's not Best Picture. That's are you a Gump shit. apologist? I'm I'm fine with Gump. You it's, son of a bitch. Gump is not a Best Picture caliber film, but it's not a bad film. There you go. Fine. Well, fine. I guess. Since uh, since I'm not the one sticking up for this, um, can you guys um, get get on my level in terms of like, are there things that any of you guys sort of like want to like, or or think that this is sort of like made for you, your demographic, but you just can't get behind or haven't been able to? Sure, sure. Uh, I actually have a pretty solid example of this. It's the first thing that I thought of, and uh, kind of continues our spacey thread a little bit here. Uh, I cannot, for the life of me, understand why people love The Usual Suspects. I, so what, I don't, do you, what do you see when you watch it? Well, I mean, it, it, to me, it's it's just, it's really sloppy, uh, which is weird because most people think of it as this, oh my god, it's so perfectly written and the twist at the end. But basically, it's everything that's messy about film noir and then just a big twist at the end. So I, I watched it again for like the third time just to make sure I really hate it, and I do. <laughs> and the See? thing that stuck out to me is, like everybody always talks about how, oh, the, the twist ending or the usual suspects is what makes the movie. So when I watched it, I, I realized, and I've, I've never read any interviews with the uh, writer, so I can't say for sure, but I'm willing to bet that he came up with the idea to bet. Of, a, of, a, of, of the twist. Like that's the first thing he thought of was the twist, and then he just kind of Chubby wrote a movie to make the, the twist happen, just like Chubby Checker and the Fat Boys doing the twist. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> just like M. Night Shyamalan every time he writes a movie. Just yeah, it's, it's very M. Night Shyamalan. These are... I, I'm with you. you know what I... Oh, go ahead, sorry. I, I, you know what I uh, see when, when someone mentions the usual suspects? Some asshole living down the hall in the dorm room. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's uh, it's right up there with Shawshank, man. It's it's dude bro masterpiece theater. You know, you know what I see? I see that amazing wrongfully accused parody scene where <laughs> Leslie Nielsen is is in front of like like the Chaz Palminteri guy, and he's like, "What's your name?" He's like, uh, "Coffee mug bulletin board." 
<laughs> that's that's beautiful. <laughs> Underrated. I wrongfully accused. Underrated. Usual suspects. Incredibly overrated. I uh, I I just I can't get behind it. It's it's too sloppy and. I, I think Roger Ebert actually has a great review of The Usual Suspects. Um, it's it's actually it's not that well written of a review, but I love his line of thinking, where he talks about how he he went to go see the movie twice before he wrote his review, and uh, he said that all he wrote in his notebook was like I don't care, which is basically, <laughs> and and because the movie leans so heavily on its big twist ending or whatever, the rest of the story falls apart. It's one thing to kind of mislead your audience so you can surprise them, uh, but it's another thing to just kind of flat out lie to them the entire time and then be like, haha, see? Bet you didn't see that coming, even though you probably did, <laughs> unless you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I can't get I, behind I it. Got, I got another Kevin Spacey uh, movie that I can't get behind that people seem to love. Uh, it seems even more like... Ha! Uh, no, uh... <laughs> No, but it seems more like um, legitimated and, and canonized um, is L.A. Confidential. Um, that, that's a movie that, like, again, like, I feel like, okay, it's it's a neo-noir, um, it, it, which is up my alley, or at least it was when I saw it, when I watched it um, years ago, which... Sure, sure. That might be part of the problem. Maybe I should watch it again, but um, I, I don't know. Are, are you guys fans of L.A. Confidential? I mean, I've seen L.A. Confidential, but in the grand tradition of Kevin Spacey movies, I cannot remember a fucking thing about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a soft yes for me. I, I mean, it's fine. I don't I don't get the huge love, but I I, I guess I hate the Usual Suspects along with Steve, uh, but I don't hate L.A. Confidential. I think it's just it's fine. It's adequate. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with that statement too. <laughs> Most okay. of this man's career. <laughs> it's all right. That's okay most of the time. Uh, Steve, how about you? What do, what do you got? What's what's something that everyone loves that you just can't love? Nothing? Steve? <laughs> is he dead? I think oh, my Steve God. Might have died. Maybe might this is died. his way of, of just saying everything. Everything, yeah. <laughs> he hates it all. Uh... <laughs> Well, I guess I, I'll I'll step up to the plate in the absence of Steve. Uh, mine mine is a more general thing that I I just came to realize as we were talking about The Walking Dead and various other things is I do not enjoy and it seems tailor made for me with my love of uh, action movies and uh, horror movies, post apocalyptic movies. Uh, especially the ones that are overly dour. I just, I cannot get behind them. I, I do not enjoy the genre as a whole. Uh, The Walking Dead being a prime example. But I was, I was watching The Rover, uh, just the other day and, uh, it, it, you don't like The Rover? It left me really flat. I mean, I, it's a well made film. And it's the same feeling I got from watching The Road and something like that. It's uh-huh. just, I, I just do not enjoy these, like, Hopeless, dour movies that. Is, I mean, it's what about not, Mad Max, man. Come on. Mad Max is. Uh, I think you've stolen my thunder because uh, that's that's my putover for the week. Uh, oh. <laughs> the exception, the exception of the rule, Mad Max. Uh, it's no Book of Eli. <laughs> 
but but the thing is, Mad Max is fun. Like Mad Max has these great characters, and most of these movies, or or The Walking Dead, which is just a, an endless post-apocalyptic movie, uh, they don't. They just it's just miserable people being misery. It's it's more misery upon misery, and I I just I I cannot be touched by these films. I just uh, I, sure did, sure. Did you did you read The Road at all? I did, and I I appreciate it. Uh, it's it's not something I would read again, and I I enjoy the road like allegorically as a, a thing about you know he's having a son, and uh, the the story behind Cormac McCarthy right. writing writing the book is much more interesting than anything that occurs in the in the road to me. Sure. I don't. Know, I was always more of a blood meridian guy. You know, babies hanging from trees and naked guys, and that's that's where it's at as far as Cormac McCarthy goes. Uh, hey, I'm back, by the way. I know you. You left us, and then you came back. Hi. Sorry about that. I, I know. I know we're not in the putover section yet, but I want to put over Steve Coleman's beard, which uh, before he turned off his his <laughs> webcam was really. I saw it. It was rocking. Was yeah. You see my recently trimmed nostrils too. <laughs> <laughs> this stylish man. It's like a GQ lumberjack. Yeah. Oh well, well the cover of Minneapolis City Pages is about lumber sexuals, so. Um. <laughs> Ooh. Way to be on the mark. Hey, there we go. We could, Steve, Steve, we can ask you again. Is there something that um, you can't get into that people just seem to love? Oh, yes, of course. Um, it's two things. It's a Billy Joel doesn't count. Billy, jo- Billy Joel does not count this time. <laughs> no, it's, it's the exact opposite problem there. Um, I throw some rocks inside your glass house, Steve. Come on. I'm trying to. All right, so it would be it would either be Lost or Game of Thrones. Oh, he's throwing some racks now. He's it's a serious drops to be a throw. A lot of unsubscribes getting <laughs> done here. No, go, go first, and then I wanna I wanna reply. Well, I'll say this in much of the way Steve was just discussing uh, how Roger Ebert talks about the usual suspects. I just can't. I don't care, and I don't know if it's just a matter of just me not being a fan of those similar genres. Maybe it's just on, maybe the onus is on me there, but I just I can't get behind it. I'm just I'm bored to tears, and I want to not be that way. I want to like both of those things because a lot of people that I admire, a lot of people whose opinions I respect greatly, are in love with those programs, and I just can't. And I've tried many times. I just yeah, sure. I I appreciate um, that 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 sentiment like um, that like I want to like these things so that everybody likes them. It makes me think like you know when you're a kid and you're eating like this terrible food or you're you're not eating terrible food but you're eating like vegetables and you're just like oh this is terrible but really you, you're not eating it. Um, but like as a kid you don't want to like this stuff and then when you grow up you're like I wish I liked every food so I could just eat everything. Sure. Um, it's similar, similar. Um, I guess the same translation into pop culture. Uh, like I really want to like Game of Thrones too, and and I watched the first season, and it didn't turn me off by any means. But I was just like nothing propelled me forward. Um, and and I guess I guess I'm with you on on Lost, kind of too. Like I loved the first season, and then I I stopped almost like all the way through the second, just because. Nothing was propelling me forward. Yeah, with Lost, uh, I, I'll talk about Game of Thrones in a second because I actually I like it quite a bit. But uh, 
Lost I never got into. I've never seen a single episode of it because I know a lot of people that are really into Lost and listening to them enthusiastically telling me what happens in Lost and why they like it so much is what makes me not want to watch it at all. See, I... Every, everything they tell me, like, Lost on Paper is the biggest pile of shit imaginable. Like, I, I, can't, I can't possibly conceive of how it could be good. <laughs> I think that's... there's something to be said about people liking something so much and talking about it so much, and then you obviously build up your expectations, which it's almost a cliche to say that's worth it, but you just can't... It will never exceed your expectations. Sure, you sure. Beat them. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, Lost is a is an interesting beast. Like again, as Sean said, the first season is, is to me it's it's one of the better seasons of television I've ever sat through. And it's it's all built on characterization, the way they flesh out these people through backstories, and and it's a really kind of unique for the for television uh, the way they told the story. And after the first season, it really becomes totally mystery event driven. Again, it became a lot like House of Cards, uh, where it's just like you're watching the plot spin, and you're like, okay, what's going to happen next? And I, I still got a lot of enjoyment out of it through, I think, four seasons. And then the, the last two seasons are like, wow, like just dreadful. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, I guess that's why it's not beckoning me further. Like, like I feel like I've seen the best of it. You have, definitely. Just like that Foo Fighters song you love so much, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did want to say something else. Um, like, I know we've been talking mostly about TV and movies, but actually um, Serial is another, I guess, pop culture text that I just have not been able to get behind. And I've mm-hmm. tried. Oh, you have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just, like, I don't care. I just... I, uh, oh. I, 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 that, yeah. I, uh, I got some Serial fatigue myself. Uh, I, I got through it, but I think... For me, the first, like, five or six episodes were really compelling. And then after that, it didn't seem like they were going anywhere. Like, each subsequent episode, about halfway through, they're not making as many strides, and they're just rehashing things and going back to things. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, I, it doesn't it doesn't finish as strong as it starts. I, I think, uh, like, like as someone who listened to it every week, I would I would sympathize with that. Um, but I think maybe what, what we're touching on is, is, like, the difference between uh, going through it I don't know, Myros, if you watched Lost as it came out, but, like... I did um, not, no. Okay. Well, um, I, I definitely witnessed a lot of people who watched Lost as it came out um, who will, like, afterwards say, like, you know, they love... They, they anticipated, like, sitting down every Thursday, but afterwards they would tell you, you, you know, years down the line, like, oh, don't you don't watch, like, the last two seasons what whatnot. Um, and as someone who, who listened to Serial every week, like, I could recognize some of the depreciated quality, um, but you're still, like, in the throes of, like, this huge, like, s- cultural event that you want to keep going. But when it's removed from, from like, its its present, um, like Serial is now, or, or definitely lost, um, it loses a lot of that cachet. Yeah, I had serial fatigue before. I like it was it was to the point where I was reading about it everywhere, and I was like, I'm I'm not gonna listen to this. Like I I just it's not right. Crazy, no effects. And uh, let's double back real quick because uh, it sounded like Steve had a little more to say about Game of Thrones. Steve Cuff, by the way. Uh, so, <laughs> I got Steve that. one and Steve two. <laughs> Steve two and Steve one. Uh, yeah, Game of Thrones. I'll I'll defend it. And this is coming from someone who does not like high fantasy elf bullshit at all. You could not 
pay me to sit through the Lord of the Rings trilogy again. There's there's no amount of money in the world that would get <laughs> me to watch a bunch of fucking elves walk around and act like dicks. I know for a fact you won't even need a Keebler cookie. That, this is true. <laughs> it's true. As much as I love the EL fudge, I will not eat them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, with, with, with Game of Thrones, the stuff that turns me off is just like all the, the supernatural bullshit. Like, I don't care about the, uh, the you know, the White Walkers and the you know the wolves and all all the wolves, all that shit. I don't care about any of that. Uh, <laughs> the wolves. The wolves. The wolves. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm I'm almost the opposite. Like I, I don't know. I I I enjoy the show. I, again, these are all kind of the same sorts of shows where it's just like you're not watching for the characters at all. You're watching for the the plot machination. It's just like. Yeah. Oh, what kind of crazy shit are they going to do tomorrow? It's like, exactly. <laughs> well, with Game of Thrones, it's, you know, everybody is is so they're either unhinged or they're vulnerable, and you know they're going to die. So sure. basically, it, it's it's kind of like a big Rue Goldberg machine where you're just gonna you're just waiting for all these parts to kind of come together so you know people can get killed and things can happen, and it's kind of interesting to watch that process happen. I I find it to be. Somewhat compelling. I, I again, I just I consider it sub prestige television, but it's not uh, bad. I, I definitely watch it when it comes out and mm-hmm. enjoy it, and uh, it satiates a certain sort of bloodlust. Yeah. And uh... <laughs> well, and the other thing is too, I like the idea that characters aren't safe just because you like them, uh, which is it. That's kind of refreshing for me. Like the entire series of Dexter. <laughs> well, if, if you okay, don't bring him. Don't bring Dexter there. Josh, <laughs> Josh, Josh Whedon on this. If you but if if you look at uh, say Walking Dead for instance, could you possibly conceive of a scenario other than he demanded too much money and the show wouldn't give it to him, where Daryl Dixon dies? <laughs> no chance. No chance. Well, Never gonna happen. Cool. Yeah, so any time that that character's in danger, why do I care? Yeah, it's kind of like WWE. They won't give Daniel Bryan the title anymore. Ah, there you go. I, my, yeah, <laughs> I'm actually very one. serious about that. Yeah, no, that's that's a perfect that's a perfect example. Stay with us, audience. I think, yeah, my uh, my criticism of Game of Thrones is that it really reminds me of being like a, a child playing with action figures. Like, you just make <laughs> You're making up these stupid plots and changing factions for your stupid little action figures. Like I, I feel like that's what George R. R. Martin is doing when he's, when he's writing these things. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. He's banging his his uh, elf action figures together, and then he goes, ha! and then they have sex, and he cuts your head off. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> as long as we're we're throwing lo- the prestige TV logs onto the fire, um, I, I would I would add in True Detective most definitely. Um, that's a show that, that I, that, um, and, and I mean, if I really wanted leftovers, but I actually made it through leftovers, but, um, uh, true detective, like I gave that an honest shot and I watched the first four episodes, which is half the series. And the fourth episode ends in like this Michael Mann-esque shootout. That's just like amazing. And even after that, I, I just, I, I dropped it, and and I, I don't have any desire to go back other than to be a part of the cultural conversation. See, I'm I'm gonna piss on your fire there. I think those are both fucking amazing <laughs> shows. So. I thought those were like fantastic first seasons for shows. I'm not real hopeful for where either one goes in the future, but uh, as singular seasons of television, 
They're both pretty it, high on my list. It sounds like, I, I mean, I guess you don't have the post-apocalyptic thing going for you, but you just get off on really dour situations. Uh, <laughs> it can be. It's it's all about characterization for me. Yeah. Anyway. So do we get? Do we have anything else? Are, are we going to shit on anything else that everybody likes? I mean, we're tr- we're trying to build an audience here, so we might as well destroy everything they love. <laughs> uh, it, we, we we've covered everything from film to uh, television to uh, it, yeah. Is there professional music? wrestling? Oh well, I, I I'll say um. Uh, trying trying to stray away from visual or or from from TV and film. Uh, some some sometimes um s- these situations of like not liking them is for me at least is is just like not giving them enough of a a chance. Um, and, and not knowing what direction to go to. Um, so one of those things that that I'm sort of making um a note of for myself and trying to to tackle is graphic novels. Um. That's something that, that like I've 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 read a couple and I I appreciate it the medium but I just like I don't feel a lot of um I, I there's not a whole lot pulling me to go back so that's something where I just need someone who's like okay this is what you would really like um and then I need to tackle that next yeah what have you read I yeah guess. exactly <laughs> you're gonna talk to me and Myros about this stuff here we're yeah. here for you Sean. Uh, <laughs> The, la- the last one was Persepolis, um, which again I liked. Um, I liked the the medium, but I just I don't I don't know. Like I said, I put it down and and I was like, okay, I'm I'm gonna go back to to regular mm-hmm. fiction. I'd go with I'd go Transmetropolitan. I mean, if you're not into the medium, then you might not get a ton out of like my go-to recommendation being The Watchmen, which is is yeah. totally involved in the medium, but. Uh, uh, Transmetropolitan, fantastic. Yeah, Transmetropolitan okay. is definitely a, a, a go-to. You should probably pick that up. I would actually, I would say you should read Watchmen, uh, only because I think it's a good way to really start to understand what uh, graphic novels or comics can do as a medium that other mediums can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, I'd agree with that. Yeah. So yeah, I, Watchmen and Transmetropolitan, those those are the two big ones for sure. Okay. Uh, Steve, what else? You got anything else for us? Any music or anything? Do I have to go on a why I hate the Arcade Fire rant real quick, or what's going on? Um, you're you're more than welcome to, and I'll just chime in with a yep every now and then. <laughs> I really don't have anything to say about uh, about them at all. Really. Haven't we already gone into the Arcade Fire in the history of the Appvet cast? Uh, probably, probably. I think it was off air, actually. Yeah. Oh, was it? Okay. Possible. All I know is Funeral is good and the rest is not. So. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Just like I don't, that, that second album sounds like... a lot like Eddie and the Cruisers. Never forget that. It does. It does. <laughs> I tried... I I tried to come up with music because I know there's music out there, but I just couldn't think of any like really solid choices of things that that I felt were made for me, but I didn't get into. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of popular things that I don't get into, but I kind of know going in that it's not going to be for me. Like I don't like Twin Shadow very much at all. Uh, I like Twin Shadow. Fair enough. Uh, and and I don't I don't really not that I think that he's like shitty or anything it's just like I don't I don't really like right. what he does it's just not the kind of music that I'm into so even though he's critically acclaimed and everybody's jerking him off I I can't get into it I can't get into the jerk session 
Huh. I said that about like 75% of music. So also, uh, weekend up. weekend without the E. Fuck weekend without the E. It's all no, about no, weekend no, with no, the no, E. No, 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 no. Okay, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Get a vowel, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the weekend is so good. <sighs> <sighs> there, there, but uh, speaking of the weekend, I saw this is this is OT off topic, but. Uh, there's this Taylor Swift quote that that was released. Uh, any release? Someone tweeted. <laughs> it was this. released. She released a uh, quote <laughs> for PR people. Someone it tweeted was redacted this. later. <laughs> <laughs> it was like uh, an after the Grammys or something like that. Yeah, I think it was after the Grammys. Um, and uh, they were at the weekend, and Taylor Swift were at the same party, and um, one of them texted the other like the morning, the next day, or something like that. And the weekend was like, "Yeah, you." Uh, kept telling me how much you loved me and you wouldn't stop petting my hair saying you loved my hair. <laughs> That's fucking weird. Although yeah. I guess if, if I was in a scenario where I was at a like a high profile celebrity party and Taylor Swift was petting my head, you know, there's there's worse situations to be in, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well I I mean that I think that pretty much covers it. Did, did is there anything else we could think of? Um I, I don't know. Did you guys? I kind of wanted to go in more on uh, some Kevin's case, case space. Yeah, career. let's let's talk briefly. We we've, we've got about we got ten minutes left in the podcast. So before we get into what we're putting over, we could talk about Kevin Spacey because he's like, I don't know, he's the Mendoza line of respectable actors, I guess. Well, I'm yes. always interested to find out where all from Grace was, which well, okay, I guess okay. I know the answer. To that, I I. But what do you think it is, Steve? I can say that. Uh, Beyond the Sea. I don't think so. Okay, is it, is I think Bobby Darren. Really? I think I think that's involved in it, but that's like that's almost at the the tail end of his fall from grace. Yeah, like, I think he, it was done well, by then. Right? I would so, say that that the result of everything that preceded it, though, for a while too, <laughs> because that was such serious. Like it was such a big passion project for him that so much other so much his other stuff kind of fell to the wayside, and I think he was even. I don't know, he was definitely he wasn't like taking jobs just for the money, but I feel like his end goal was to make this film. Huh, right, 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 yeah. Well, if, if we look at Oh, go ahead, Steve. No, no, that's fine. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say if if we look at let's say American Beauty is his like prestige peak where everybody's in love with Kevin Spacey. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, but it was after the build-up that you that you should mention about Usual Suspects. Yeah, seven, so so we seven. go we go Usual Suspects, which uh, was actually it was it was the beginning of Kevin Spacey prestige and uh, the end of Kevin Pollock prestige, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> which, by the way, quick aside, the worst Kevin Pollock sequel movie is it the Santa Claus Two, Doctor Doolittle Two, or Grumpier Old Men? The was whole there, ten yards. Was there no, <laughs> was there no house guest too? Or, I, I, yeah, yeah. Not, possibly, not house guest. I, would, not, I wouldn't put it past not him. House guest. Uh, house arrest. House too, arrest. No, I don't think there. Were, I don't think there was. At least with him. But anyways, Seven. so so we have this build up. Uh, we have this build up. We have the usual suspects. Uh, Outbreak seven. A time to kill. L.A. Confidential. Midnight. The Garden of Good and Evil. The Negotiator. Uh, I'm Gary Glenn Ross. What about yeah? Oh, swimming yeah, Glenn with, Gary Glenn swimming Ross. with sharks. You missed the sure, swimming sure, with sharks. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, he did really? a voice in the Bugs Life. Let's not remember that. <laughs> the, the Big Kahuna. Well, yes. okay, so, yes. so he, does, he does American Beauty and Big Kahuna. So let's that's that's all in the 90s. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure we talked about the Big Kahuna. 
He does. He does the big. He did the big Kahuna the same year as he did American Beauty, which is just totally bizarre to me. He wears a headdress and smokes cigars with Dan well, DeVito. The big. <laughs> I think the big Kahuna took like two hours to shoot. That, that's probably right. <laughs> so after he does that, big Kahuna. He does. He does fucking. So post American Beauty, same year, does the big Kahuna, does it forward, fucking K Pags. Uh, the shipping news, which no one saw except for my grandpa, oh, who insisted it was one of the greatest movies of all time. God rest his soul, the man was wrong. Uh, <laughs> United States of Leland, which is a tire fire of a movie. Uh, the Life of David Gale, which is the saddest attempt at an Oscar I've ever seen. Yeah, um, yep, yep, yep. That's dreadful. Beyond the Sea. Superman Returns. Something called Edison, which I've never seen. And then Superman Returns, oh, God, Fred 21. Claus, forgetting 21. Recount, 21, yeah, that's his, like, fucking gambling man bullshit movie. That <laughs> looked great. Hey, baby, I'm always good. <laughs> I'm Kevin Spacey. I love, I love, I love uh, Myros' quote as a back-of-the-box quote. This looked great. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, it's, it seems like the definitive answer that is pay it forward, right, that, that really, yeah. That, that's the jump the shark line, right? There. God, that you can't it bounce was more than just his career. That killed it for Haley Joe Osment and Helen Hunt. What a saccharine piece of shit! Hey, Haley Joe Osment's in the uh, the the movie about the walrus. Now he's really, you, really doing big things. Tusk. Yeah, you can't you can't bounce back. You, I I don't think anybody. I don't think Tom Hanks could have bounced back from from the back to back K packs and pay it forward. Now what that's a. The death blow. <laughs> How the hell did yeah. K-Packs get greet? Like, that is, it's Star, <laughs> that, that's fucking Star Man with Jeff Bridges in a different, in the other role. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like the exact fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It, it's not, it's not really different in any way. I don't know, I well, really, it's worse I really like Pay It Forward. I, I really like Pay It Forward because when you think about Pay It Forward, not only is it a giant, cloying pile of shit that, like, Capitalized the worst on a cover like meme. Uh, <laughs> if you look at the cast to pay it forward, literally no one that was in that movie currently has a career that's worth a good goddamn. That they're all just failures in life, and it's very sad. Oh, very, yeah. very sad. But they were put well, together they... for the express purpose of continuing the launch. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for Helen Hunt. It was like off of As Good As It Gets, and then it's like, oh, wait, look, you're right. done. You're I'm shedding a tear for John Bon Jovi, man. Come on. I'm not shedding a tear for Spacey. He's probably making about $10 million a year doing that House of Cards shit. That's but, true. So, like, like uh, then he bounced back. So he had that terribly deep valley of just the, the worst uh, films, like, over a 10-year period, 15-year period. And then sure, he, sure. He, sort of, he sort of rebrands himself as uh, this guy just that just makes a bunch of speeches and is evil. Well, I think the trouble for a while, too, is he was trying to brand himself as the next Jack Lemmon. Like, really hardcore in the early 2000s. Because That's he was interesting. Like, because he was like, oh, remember when Jack Lemmon upstaged me and Glenn, Gary, Glenn Ross in every scene? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Pacino upstaged them all. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think the lasting legacy of Kevin Spacey is people, for some reason, really like Kevin Spacey, but nobody really likes Kevin Spacey movies. 
or people think they like Kevin Spacey movies until they really start to think about him, and they're just like, eh, I don't know. Yeah, he's sort of the poster boy of that phenomenon where you're just like, oh, man, this person's in a lot of good movies, and then you look up on IMDb, and you're like, oh, no, no, not at all. <laughs> It's like his very presence turns me off of movies. Like I, I haven't seen Margin Call. This, oh, that's this great. Yeah, he's supposed to be a, a fantastic up and coming filmmaker, but I, that just looked like another fucking Kevin Spacey movie. Oh, no, yeah. no, no, it's not. It's not. I, I was gonna mention Margin Call, so I'm glad you brought it up. But he, he, he plays like an actual human in that movie. Not <laughs> bad. Uh, yeah, and uh, he's not he, I almost forgot that he was in that um and still in until I started thinking about Kevin Spacey, but that movie's a really good smart little movie. Huh. He did, he does play second banana very well. Yeah, especially he does, to Joan Severance. And in the <laughs> negotiator, see no evil. He's a good what? second banana in the negotiator. Yeah. Yeah, he's. I don't mind him in supporting roles so much, but uh, you know, they they all can't be big kahunas. That's the lasting <laughs> lesson of uh, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> that's that's what his, his tombstone will read. Just a picture of him smiling in a headdress and a cigar. <laughs> Danny DeVito by his side, just etched into stone. And that guy that played a football player. Oh, God. We'll just do a big, big kahuna. Oh, we'll have our big kahuna episode. That'll, that'll be next week. No, it, it won't be. Please don't unsubscribe. Uh, <laughs> all right. We're actually we're, we're coming to the end of the podcast right now. So before we get into what we're putting over, I just want to say that we're having some issues on iTunes. I fixed the issues. I talked to iTunes. They actually emailed me back. Who, who would have thought that, that Apple would actually email you back when you emailed them with problems? We only have one listing now instead of two identical listings on iTunes, so you can subscribe to our podcast. If you don't like to subscribe to podcasts because you're weird or old or whatever, uh, you can go to optimismvaccine.com. The podcasts are all up there. You can stream them from the website. You can download them. Uh, you can do whatever you want with them, really. I don't care. You can do rap remixes if you, if you want to. Auto-tune Steve Coleman's voice. Don't have to try that hard if you just listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta do it ourselves on occasion. On occasion, with with the uh, the robot voicing. Anyways, Steve Coleman, what are you putting over this week? Um, you know, this isn't that original, but I want to put over Broad City because I finally started watching it this season, and it's even better than the first season. So, good choice, man. The that. dildo episode, primo. <laughs> I'm that was good. genuinely impressed, like with every episode. It's just I can't believe how good it's remaining. Um, mm-hmm. Not that I doubted that it would still be good, but it's far exceeding my expectations. Agreed, agreed. Sean, how about you? What are you putting over? Um, before, our, b- besides our forthcoming um, episode, is that a gunshot? <laughs> yeah. Besides our forthcoming episode of the Upfat Cast, which is a deep dive on Kevin Pollock's career. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. It's a lot I of celebrity poke. That's a fucking dive in the kiddie pool. <laughs> uh, I am going to put over the uh, latest uh, Action Bronson track. Um, he has an album coming out later this month. But what's I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of him. I actually kind of like him um, as a feature 
on a lot of tracks, but on his newest track called Baby Blue, um, Chance the Rapper has uh, a verse as well as the chorus. Um, and the the verse is, is fantastic, and it's sort of just like a de facto teaser for what's going to be um, an amazing album when his comes out. Yeah, I agree 100%. That track is awesome, and the uh, the track that Chance the Rapper teased from his new record is really, really good, so I'm super excited about that. Uh, Myros, what are you what are you putting over this week? Well, we already touched on this. I, I'm putting yeah, I over my we're, we're trying to pretend like the audience didn't hear that part, and then this is new for them. Yeah, they're, they're only listening uh, to yeah, five-minute segments here. Hey, uh, first, first rule of radio, whenever you fuck up, you pretend like it never happened. Yeah, I mean, I, people think I, it never did. I am putting over the exception to my post-apocalyptic rule, the original Mad Max. Uh, screw the other two. I, I don't give a damn about Road Warrior. Uh, oh, you don't want to get beyond one. Thunderdome? No, no, Tina Turner, no. Uh, I am, I'm down with the original, the low budget, the gritty, the, the toe cutter. He, he, he's coming. And, uh, we all, we all grieve the Knight Rider. And it's a fantastic film. Great low budget, uh, you know, road movie. It's, uh, it's got great car chases, great action. Uh, it's pretty subversive. It's, uh, it is a very excellent example of uh, that style of film and that era. Sure, sure. Wow. Are you excited for the uh, the remake that's coming out? It looks it's good. A, that's not a remake. It's a, it's a it's another a sequel? sequel. Sequel? Yeah. Okay. Fury Road. It's a, so now so now we're we're beyond beyond Thunderdome. Is that what you're saying? They are beyond beyond <laughs> Thunderdome. That's good. That's good. That, I am kind of excited for it. I'm sure it probably won't be particularly good, but it, it does look like spectacle, and uh, hey. I'm down with it. What is what's the movie? I'm blanking, and this is stupid because I own it, but I can't get up and look. Uh, the movie that's basically a Road Warrior sequel, but it's not. Uh, we, the Book of Eli. Not the that, goddamn right? Book of Eli. <laughs> we, went you, saw, we went and saw it at a the, shitty Bay City Theater, Myros. Uh, I saw yeah. it. Uh, Neil Marshall's Doomsday. Yeah, there you go. Underrated. Underrated. It, it is. It's a it's a great pastiche of uh, John Carpenter and uh, George Miller. There, it's a yeah, a lot of fun. And the critics hate it for some reason. They do. Everyone hates it. You don't even Everybody get a lot of genre it. fans. A lot of genre fans hate it. They're like, oh, too derivative. It's like, oh, that's the fucking point, man. <laughs> All right, this week I'm putting over the new record from the King Con and Barbecue show. It's called Bad News Boys, and it's garage rock, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's good. It's a guy who plays guitar a- and sings and dresses in drag, and another guy who plays drums and guitar at the same time. Impressive. Is it on medium.com? Is it on? No, it's not on medium.com. No, unfortunately. I, I, I suppose I could upload it there and just keep the thing rolling on that one. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that about that about wraps things up. We actually came in at exactly an hour this week, so I'm, I'm very proud of all of you. We did it. We've done it. We're not a bunch of blowhards. Well, we are, <laughs> but we're just not taking up as much time. <laughs> Anyways, once again, go to iTunes. Subscribe to the OpVatCast. And this is very important, dear listeners. Please rate our podcast and write a review because when you rate our podcast and write a review, it, it makes us more searchable or something, and then more people can discover the podcast. So even if you think we're assholes, give us five stars and say we're okay. Uh, Steve Coleman, as always, the last word is yours. My apologies to Indeed Brewing Company for using your hallway for the past hour. Hopefully they didn't pour out my beer.
I, I hope so, too. Good beer. Good beer over at Indeed. Yes, plug for Indeed Brewing of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Good stuff. Good beer. All right. See you in two weeks.